Hello and welcome to this episode of The Abundant Edge, the podcast all about the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a fantastic interview for you in this session, so let's jump right on in. My guest today is Tim O'Hara who's the owner and founder of Rancho Mastatal Sustainability and Education Center, one of the premier sustainable living education sites in the world. For more than 15 years, Rancho Mastatal has been leading the way in permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living skills such as fermentation, biogas digestion, soap making, and much more. Pretty much all the stuff that I am completely in love with. Now, Tim started out with a degree in agricultural economics and first began working in corporate agro-business before becoming disillusioned with that world and joining the Peace Corps, where he worked for two years in Uruguay and there met his wife. After another short stint working in agro-business, Tim was ready for a big change. Through a friend of his through the Peace Corps, Tim then found the land in Mastatal, Costa Rica, where the dream of the ranch came together. Now in this interview, Tim shares invaluable insights on how to integrate with your local community as an outsider, how their demonstration site has had a positive impact on their community at large, and he goes over some of the biggest hurdles that he and his team have had to overcome to get where they are today. This is a great episode for anyone who dreams of starting their own training or educational site one day. So remember to stay tuned at the end of this interview for another weekly tip. In this session, I'll be talking about the importance of involving your community in your projects. Now I'll send it over to Tim. Hey, Tim. Thanks so much for taking the time today. How are you? I'm doing well, Oliver. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, it's my pleasure. I've got a ton of stuff that I'd love to ask you, so why don't we just jump right in? Sounds great. All right, so let's start off by having you tell us a little bit about your personal background. Sure. I... Grew up in upstate New York, uh, typical suburban upbringing. Uh, went to school uh, in upstate New York as well at Cornell University. I have a degree in agricultural economics. I went straight to work uh, into the corporate world after I graduated. My first job was with Chiquita, a large agribusiness. Um, after getting a bit disheartened with my life there, uh, I escaped to the Peace Corps. I uh, spent two years in South America and Uruguay, where I met my current wife, uh, Robin Nunes. After uh, I got out of Peace Corps, I went back into the corporate world to go back into the world of agribusiness. I uh, moved to Seattle and lived there for a few years. Doing that, working for a large exporter, fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, again, got uh, disenchanted with that world and started to look for alternatives and uh, other options for how I could spend my time, energy and resources in a more fulfilling way. Uh, while in Seattle, a friend of uh, ours, a friend of mine from the Peace Corps contacted me and told me about a small community in Costa Rica where he had recently visited. And we got chatting. We, as Peace Corps friends, uh, had always talked about possibly starting a project together that related to sustainability organic farming, and he convinced uh, Robin and I to jump on to a plane and come down to Costa Rica to check out the site, uh, which we did. We were looking to transition out of life in urban Seattle and had our sights on rural Oregon when we came down here. And after our visit, um, 
we started brainstorming and thinking about what life could look like back in Latin America, uh, a region that we had always been open to returning to based on our positive experience in the Peace Corps. And uh, we decided to put together a business plan and we got the financing together. And in 2000, we purchased the property where Rancho Mastatel currently is and moved down to the small community um, in late 2001 when we opened our doors um, and started uh, our life as uh, owners of the Rancho Mastatel Sustainability Education Center. That's fantastic. So you mentioned that it's a sustainability and education center. Can you give me kind of a rundown of what your operations are and what the day-to-day looks like there? Sure. Uh, Our property uh, measures about 300 acres. Uh, It's in a small rural community of about 110 people. Uh, It's uniquely located uh, kind of smack dab in between the small community, kind of downtown central Mastatal and uh, one of Costa Rica's newest national parks named La Cangreja. Um, At our campus, we run a host of different programs related to sustainability education. We offer workshops in a variety of topics such as renewable energy, permaculture, uh, growing food in the tropics, wilderness medicine, uh, natural building, um, and other topics. Uh, I receive high school, college, university, middle school groups who come down and run through our custom design sustainability education programs. We also have a year-long apprenticeship um, whereby six apprentices come and live with us on our campus for the better part of a year and learn about the different techniques and practices that we employ in return, they uh, work with us uh, on our different systems and help us with the day-to-day uh, tasks and chores at the ranch. Um, and then we uh, run a host of educational programs to high school, college, uh, middle school, and university groups that come through and uh, participate in our custom design sustainability programs. Um, in addition, we receive uh, you know, standard guest tourists that come through our area that are interested in what we do and uh, oftentimes interested in getting into uh, the rainforest and enjoying the nature that's so abundant in, our, uh, in and around our small community. That's fantastic. Now, one of the things that I was really curious to ask you about, since I'm also living somewhat of an expat lifestyle in a similar environment here in rural Guatemala, And I know that one of the big challenges for myself and many other people I know living here is how to better integrate into these small indigenous communities as a foreigner. How have you been able to do that in both your life and work in the small village in Costa Rica? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, what makes up a, a really considerable part of our work here as expats living in a small rural community, it's Uh, imperative that we are welcomed and embraced by the community so that we can be successful both in our work and in our personal uh, lives here on a daily basis. Um, My wife and I, as I said earlier, met in the Peace Corps, so we have had that experience of living rurally in Latin America as expatriates. And during our Peace Corps time, we um, were able to 
learn different techniques that um, would help us <clears throat> seamlessly integrate into a community such as this. <clears throat> so mainly uh, for, for me, the, the biggest part of having success in uh, leading a happy life here in rural Costa Rica is just really immersing myself as much as possible into the day-to-day lives uh, of people here. Uh, we're fortunate to live on the edge of town. We have access to um, a lot of the uh, local homes and businesses here. Um, one of the first, um, one of the first uh, bits for me that was so important in integrating was joining the men's soccer team. As I'm sure many people know, soccer is uh, everything in Latin America, including here in Costa Rica. And I have a history of playing team sports. And so soon after getting here, I, I started going down to the soccer field and playing soccer uh, with the kids and with the adults. And for me, that was a great way to get to know uh, a lot of the people on a more social level. Um, above and beyond that, we made a concerted effort uh, upon our arrival to get out and meet uh, as many people as possible uh, to tell them about our project and to tell them about what our plans were for uh, the ranch. Um, more recently, we uh, had a, a daughter, actually nine years ago uh, now. She just turned nine today. She um, allowed us to bridge the gap uh, in many cases uh, into many of the households that we hadn't succeeded in getting into up until that point. Um, and that was a, a great uh, development for us getting into some of these households that she um, allowed us to go into because she was going to school with grandkids or kids and uh, all in all it's just mainly been an effort in trying to get out there and get integrated and involved participating in the local government participating in community cleanups um, and just demonstrating almost on a weekly basis that we're here for the right reasons and that uh, the impact that we're trying to create with our business is a positive one um, and we're constantly uh, conscientious about the potential negative impacts that our business bring and, and constantly trying to mitigate the negative and uh, augment the positive. What are some of the negatives that may come with your operations? I think just in general when you bring people uh, from outside this community into the community, uh, there are potential negative interactions that uh, people um, that come here have with other community members. It's hard to always uh, monitor that and or control that. Um, and so as an example, um, somebody might come to our facility and stay uh, for a number of weeks and perhaps uh, spend a little bit too much time uh, at the bar, um, partying, or getting involved with someone here locally and, um, you know, leaving a, a bad imprint uh, on the community and what it means to uh, bring tourists into a small, I would say, delegate community such as this that up until our arrival didn't have a lot of experience with uh, foreign tourists coming through. Um, just in general, uh, I guess any type of develop development 
can bring some negative impacts, whether they be environmental or social. Um, and when you invite, you know, people that you don't know into your community, there is that risk at times that, that those people will represent, represent you in a negative way and, um, you know, potentially uh, impact in some way the social fabric or the environment in ways that you uh, didn't intend to. I like that. Those are some really good insights. Now, uh, I know that the ranch also, like you said, attracts tons of students and participators from all over the world. But I'm curious, what sort of effect have you been able to have on the local community with your projects? Has your demonstration site inspired any of the locals to mimic any of your operations or to adopt any of your tactics? Yes, definitely. When we came here 16 years ago, we were the uh, the first business, formal business in town. Um, it was kind of a backwater then, difficult to get to. The roads were very poor. There were no telephones, no internet. Uh, and for the most part, the community was experiencing a massive brain drain uh, when kids uh, became 16, 17, or 18 years old. They would commonly get up and go somewhere else in search of work, whether that be an urban center or a tourist center, uh, because of the lack of employment in this region. Um, upon our arrival, we um, made a point of only hiring local people uh, as a way to demonstrate that we were serious about positively impacting the local economy. Um, and from uh, our early success, uh, some other young people, young families in the community started to emulate some of our successful practices. Uh, if you walk around Nostatal today, uh, you'll find a community that's much different than it was when we got here. Not only are there phones here now, but there are uh, a number of local businesses that have been started by families here, uh, many of them which have um, become quite successful. Uh, some of those include uh, the Iguana Chocolate, which is a local organic uh, chocolate farm. They grow all their own cacao. They process it all. It's from farm to bar. Uh, they've had great success uh, with their amazing work uh, just down the road from us. Um, there's also another uh, business in town that's flourishing called Finca Siempre Verde, started by uh, a local uh, named Marcos Garcia and his partner, Jenny Mora. They started a Spanish school recognizing um, the demand for uh, Spanish language classes to some of the people that were coming through the ranch. That operation has since blossomed into a full-scale farm project. They have guiding services, offer Spanish classes, uh, and receive guests uh, in their facilities. Uh, another spot up the road called Vies Mastatal, similarly started by locals, um, kind of emulating a, a bit uh, what we do. It's a farm project now that, again, has uh, turned into a successful operation that receives guests uh, and uh, does some volunteer work um, with uh, volunteers that come through their doors. So those are just three examples of uh, some of the formal businesses. There are a number of other businesses that I failed to mention, as well as and a number of informal businesses that have sprung up as a result of the more robust economy and the increased traffic coming through. Uh, for us, a big 
part of our work was to try to support the local farmers, the local farming community, and get involved with uh, what um, farming might look like uh, in the future here. And one of our big contributions, I think, is just being one of the larger agricultural consumers here and uh, as much as we can buying uh, only ag products that we can source from local farmers in the region. So as a result, uh, a lot of uh, farmers are now uh, able to uh, take their products to our local markets uh, in an effort, hopefully, to, to keep farming alive uh, long enough until we can start thinking about what a shift in that paradigm will look like and, and what food security um, could look like for this region uh, moving forward. Wow, you must have seen some big changes in those communities since you got there and must be proud of some of the positive influences that you've helped to, to sort of nurture that. Yeah, it's been a, a wonderful place to be. Uh, it's been a great uh, location to kind of see evolve and unfold. And um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful environment with amazing people and uh, hopefully an increasingly robust uh, local economy that will be able to support increasing numbers of, of kids and young adults that um, desire to stay here for uh, the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to switch gears for just a second here. Since I've been following your newsletters and promotions for years, I wanted to ask about a concept that you promote and like to call invisible structures. Can you explain what you mean by that term and how it works within a regenerative ecosystem? Yeah, invisible structures refer to those business structures that um, visitors uh, or people that come to your site oftentimes uh, don't see. Um, those uh, structures include financial structures. They include how you organize uh, your community, how you govern yourselves how you make decisions, um, and a topic that is becoming increasingly important, I think, for projects and communities such uh, as ours. Um, these are oftentimes the structures that, uh, at the beginning, organizations pay less attention to than, say, the building systems or the, the food production systems or the educational systems, yet uh, over the course of the long run, uh, probably are the most important structures to get right and to have in place if you are to think about longevity and durability uh, as an entity. And so a few years ago, really with, um, with the help uh, and urging of one of our core team members named Laura Killingbeck, she really made it a point to uh, urge the ranch to start thinking more about uh, what these structures are and what they need to look like uh, for us to stay together uh, as a successful operation uh, into the future. And so over the last three years or so, we put a lot of time and energy into thinking about um, you know, our mission, our vision, our objectives, our strategies, uh, how we compensate ourselves, how we make decisions as an organization, uh, how we invite new members in, how we uh, ask old members to leave, um, and how we govern ourselves. And those are all really important pieces that, um, that make it possible for um, a business such as ours to, um, to be around as long as possible. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you give me some examples of the main structures, the main invisible structures that have been essential for your operation on Rancho Masatal? Sure. Uh, one example is our, our governance structure, which hasn't been totally worked out, um, but that we've been working on uh, improving over the last few years. We are um, playing around with an idea uh, called sociocracy, um, and that provides us a structure essentially uh, that helps us uh, make decisions in a hopefully just and fair way. Um, it's based on an idea called consent, which is different than consensus uh, in that not everybody uh, has to agree with every aspect of every pr proposal to move it forward, but instead uh, relies on this idea of consent, which is that all core team members that are involved in the decision-making process don't necessarily have to be 100% on board, but that the proposal doesn't uh, create a situation uh, where one of the core team members has a paramount objection to it moving forward. So that, that's one example of, of how we're able to make decisions more efficiently now and, and more effectively and in a way that uh, integrates all of the decision makers on our team. Uh, similarly, just the, the financial systems, um, some quite conventional, but as uh, small business um, owners and as entrepreneurs early on uh, in a project in a business like this, we don't oftentimes spend enough time on, but just uh, tracking uh, the money coming in and out and creating systems that allow you to better understand your financial position on a day in and day out basis. Uh, early on, we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants if there was money in our pocket at the end of the week, then that would be great. If there wasn't, we'd have to figure out where to cut it, oftentimes hoping that we had enough to make, uh, you know, make payroll that week. Um, and now that we're a bit more mature and further on in the development of our organization, we really worked hard to put structures in place that allow us to better understand our position. And that for us is critically important um, as we think about how to compensate ourselves, how to compensate the people that work with us. Um, that's been a great step in um, being able to better understand the, the health of our bottom uh, bottom line. So those are uh, those are a couple couple examples. As as I'm sure the listeners have heard or know. So now, Tim Rancho Mastatal has been a model of regenerative agriculture and natural building since it was founded. Since I'm someone who also develops programs to educate students on these topics, I would like to hear from you specifically how you continue to develop new and innovative ways of teaching these things and how you keep the training and workshops from getting stale or outdated. Yeah, um, one of the strategies that we have is to try uh, to our best of our ability to bring in new teachers from time to time. Um, in particular with our natural building workshops, with our permaculture classes, we try to integrate uh, a new teacher or a few new teachers each year who are bringing uh, slightly different skill sets to the ranch, uh, again, in an effort to keep fresh, as, as you suggested. Um, so that's, uh, that's one way. 
Um, we are trying not to run the same exact uh, class year after year. In the case of the permaculture design certification, that is a curriculum that is fairly well set. But again, by bringing in different teachers with different strengths, we're able to um, change the curriculum around, I think, enough whereby it keeps it interesting for the folks that are teaching it as well as uh, the folks that are taking those classes. Um, in addition to that, with the building classes, we are really trying to, to innovate as much as possible uh, how we're building our buildings. And, and if you've come around uh, to the ranch campus, you'll see that a lot of the buildings are very unique and different. None, you know, none of the structures are like any of the other structures. So we're constantly trying to, to push ourselves to use different materials, to use different techniques, uh, and to keep fashion interesting so that everybody can stay excited about, uh, about those topics. Now, what have been some of the most important things you've learned and taken away from running Rancho Mastatal for all these years? Oh, let's see. Probably the number one lesson is that as I kind of get deeper into it, the more I understand how much more I have to learn. Um, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much uh, that goes into running a project like ours. It's quite diverse. We're trying to do a lot and um, I'm just constantly um, humbled by by the new information, the new uh, people, the new ideas that continue to come through our door and change my worldview. As a, as a late 20-year-old, early 30-year-old, I, I thought that I more or less had, had it figured out for me anyway. And as I get uh, deep into my 40s and close to um, the next decade, uh, I realized that I, I will be a lifelong student and uh, that's been a, a really uh, fulfilling idea to embrace. Um, it's been really um, wonderful to, to realize that and understand that and certainly um, keeps us on our toes here. Um, going kind of back to the, the community piece a, a little bit that we talked about before that, that, that's the part I think that produces some of the most unique challenges, uh, what I talked about before living as an expat in uh, rural Central America um, and just being away from uh, my family and the culture that I, I grew up in. Those are challenges that uh, continue to be real for me uh, living so far from where I grew up and my siblings and, and uh, my blood family. Uh, those continue to provide um, challenges, and the list of challenges is is much greater. I can go into a few others later on if uh, if we uh, if we have the time. Yeah, sure, I can relate to a few of those too. I, I as well hope to be a lifelong learner, and the deeper I get into each of these things that I study, the more I realize that I could study any one of them for my whole lifetime, and probably still have a lot to learn. And uh, as Absolutely. well, like you said, uh, like I'm. I'm the oldest of five children in my family, and I miss them all the time, trying to find a way to balance my time traveling and doing projects for clients, but also getting home and making sure that I spend time with them is... Yeah, indeed. Now, what have been some of the biggest challenges and hurdles that you've had to overcome to get Rancho Masatel where it is today? 
I think uh, the one that jumps out right away is just the, the financial um, part, just trying to figure out how to pull something like this off. Uh, we live quite rurally here, so figuring out how to get people to come to us um, and figure out, uh, as I alluded to earlier, how to, you know, how to pay the bills at the end of the month. Uh, in the very beginning, we had to get quite creative in coming up with um, a way to finance the, the purchase of the land uh, and to come here with a little bit of money to hit the ground running with. Um, and we've worked really hard and made many sacrifices uh, to be able to, to make that work. Uh, after 16 years, I feel like we're getting to a good place, but uh, even as recent as a few years ago, you know, we were looking for for ways to, to get more people to our site who would be willing to pay for the food and lodging and the educational programs so that um, so that we would be able to, to make it happen. Um, another big piece, I think, is the social piece, going back to the uh, kind of the expat conversation, but uh, developing a project that would allow us to thrive and be happy socially. Um, we are fully integrated into this community, but there are certain uh, aspects of our of our life and of our project that keep that part really vibrant and interesting by having teachers and professors and students and people from all over the world with different worldviews and different ideas coming through our doors all the time really does inject us with a, a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, great conversations, and that community, that network of supporters and people that believe in our work uh, has been really important, I think, to my uh, personal happiness um, that otherwise I think would be hard for me living as rurally as we do um, in this community without it, it would be, I think, a lot more challenging. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, what advice would you give to others who want to set up regenerative development sites or education centers like yours? Uh, I think doing, um, doing your homework and thinking about the invisible structures that we talked about before, uh, I share that advice, um, having been someone that didn't do it that way, um, so perhaps that might seem a little bit uh, a little bit ironic. But I do believe now, uh, after learning what I have about some of these invisible structures, that uh, that your chances of success are likely much higher if you have thought about a lot of those issues prior to uh, putting your feet on the ground and starting something like this. Um, there are a lot of great people with great ideas looking to start projects such as this, um, and many of them um, don't pan out for a, a whole host of reasons. And what I would like to see personally is that places like this have a greater rate of success um, based on what we have observed. There's a great demand and a great need for this type of lifestyle, this type of education, and the, the more places like this that succeed, the faster we'll get uh, to kind of changing the, the economic paradigm, the environmental paradigm, we'll get closer to succeeding in hopefully reversing some of these 
um, incredibly serious uh, global issues that that we're currently confronting as a society. So um, get your house in order. Think about the finances. Think about how you're going to compensate yourself. Think about how you're going to find balance in your life. Um, burnout is a reality, I think, for many people that try to do this. There's always a lot to do. So developing strategies that allow you to stay balanced, um, that allow you to make efficient decisions, that allow you to um, govern yourself and be successful financially. The more time and energy you think about what your community is going to look like and what your business is going to look like prior to opening your doors, I think the, the greater chance of success. That's some really valuable advice. I am in certain steps and certain processes in helping either clients achieve these goals and in starting some of these myself. And a lot of that really resonates with what has been my experience so far and also really informs how I may, uh, you know, reevaluate some of the ways that I proceed forward too. So thank you for that. Yeah, my pleasure. Now, before I let you go, can you share with us how to get in contact with you or with Rancho Mastatal, or if you have any workshops or promotions that uh, you'd like to mention now. Sure. Yeah, we've got a great website uh, with a lot of information. It's ranchomastatal.com. We also have uh, an active Facebook page. You can search for it at Rancho Mastatal. Um, we are active with Instagram now more and more. We're embracing the social media uh, wave that is overtaking um, our our species, uh, which has been great for us in getting the word out about our work. Um, you can email us at info uh, at ranchomastatel.com and any other contact information you can find on our website. Uh, we are kind of wrapping up with our workshop season a little bit. We do have a wilderness first response certification course uh, coming up in a few months, and then our workshop schedule is starting to fill up uh, for next year. We're kicking off next year with a, a bamboo construction workshop. That'll be followed by a wilderness medicine semester. Uh, we've got a Japanese plastering uh, workshop on the docket. Uh, we have uh, Japanese ferments, uh, a farm-to-table ferment workshop, our annual permaculture design certification class. Uh, we're repeating an agroforestry class as well as a medicinal plants class. And we're due to get a, um, a homestead design class onto our calendar soon. Um, so lots coming up in the following year. And uh, people can stay updated at our website by going to our workshop page. That's fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time, Tim. I hope that we can possibly do a follow-up to see how things continue to progress on your site in the years to come. Thanks so much, Oliver. I really appreciate the time. Wish you the best in your project and endeavors over there. Thank you. Take care. I'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. So there you have it. And now let's move on to this session's weekly tip. This time, I want to focus on the importance of involving the community in your projects. Now, Tim gave some great examples of the lengths that he's gone to in Costa Rica to reach out to the town where they live and include them in their endeavors. He even shared some inspiring examples of people in the community who they now work alongside with and who've had success following their lead. 
And while his experiences are unique, community integration can help anyone to reach levels of success in their projects that would never be possible if they were to go it alone. I know that many of us, especially in the homesteading world, are very independent and are even aiming for a goal of self-sufficiency in large part not to be dependent on the outside world to support ourselves. I myself have had to overcome my own isolationist tendencies in order to reach out to neighbors and friends for help many times. I'll use natural home building projects as an example, since that's the area where I have the most experience. Oftentimes, the clients who want natural buildings are also looking for a level of seclusion and privacy in nature as a priority in their living environment. The irony in this is that you have to nurture good relationships to accomplish this. If you're butting heads with the people living around you, they're more likely to play their music really loud or run heavy machinery that disturbs your sanctuary. In bad cases, they may even stop you from building. Since many natural buildings try to subvert codes and permits, and neighbors reporting the building is the number one reason that unpermitted structures get shut down. Now on the other hand, if you've taken the time to build a friendship and be on good terms with those in your community, they're much more likely to not only live peacefully next to you, but even come over and help you build your home. Maybe they can lend you some tools, help you source recycled materials, or put you in touch with others who can. But never forget either that if you want enthusiastic help from your community, you're going to have to be an enthusiastic contributor. What you get out is largely proportional to what you put in. Being able to rely on your community comes only after you've become a good member of that community. So try to build community integration into all of your endeavors. You'll quickly find that the benefits are so much larger and varied than you might expect. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer from contracting, design, consulting, and education. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, where I share updates and pictures on our projects, regenerative living articles, and even free resources and giveaways. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback and emails to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email us directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Now if you enjoyed this or any of our previous episodes, the best way that you can support me right now is to leave a review on iTunes. Leaving a review is the best way to ensure that I reach as many people as possible with the invaluable information that is shared by the guests that I've interviewed. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again on next week's episode.